All right, good morning. All right, thank you for being patient with me this morning. Boy, I hope this all goes well this morning. <laughs> As Gretchen was mentioned, that uh, we had the opportunity to go up to family camp yesterday at Willow uh, Lake, and uh, what a what a amazing sight, amazing group of people. Um, and Randy was telling me that it, you know, it's very competitive to get that spot that we reserve every year. And uh, it was just amazing what he was telling me that he can reserve it nine months out to the date that we're supposed to have our event. And I'm thinking, man, that's, that's, really, that's really tough. So Randy's at that phone on that first day in order to get that reserve spot. And he has told me that several occasions he's really had to redial, 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 redial to get that reserve spot. And um, I had the opportunity to look at the reserved list there at the camp for that particular location, and it was full for the whole summer. So uh, thank you to Randy for being such a person who's persistent and, and getting that location because it is an amazing location. We had a lot of fun yesterday. They had a bear in camp on Friday. Uh, so amazing. They had some, so a little bear activity. I guess they've been having some bear activity up there. So uh, just a, a great opportunity to fellowship. And uh, Jay did the music. That was wonderful. Uh, thank goodness for uh, uh, generators. So <laughs> uh, let me get to my scripture here, folks, and we'll get started. I just want to start out by saying that you know, this is my disclaimer, okay? Um, I'm not a preacher. I did go to Bible college, but I didn't study to become a preacher. And um, uh, I am so grateful that I had a family that supported me in my education and where I went to school and, uh, um, and, and got a Christian education. By trade, by profession, I'm a leader, uh, I'm a trainer. So for many, many years, uh, I was in retail management, human resources, I'm currently in the human resource sector right now, and I do a lot of training, so that's why I'm comfortable talking with people and following along. Um, this subject, we're talking about wealth, we're talking about money. Uh, it's not an easy subject for me to <laughs> to talk about. Um, we're all at different levels of our financial uh, situation, okay? I don't consider myself wealthy. I don't consider myself rich. Uh, I'm just a normal person, all right? I love God. I love Jesus. And money is, I mean, money is good to have. Money is nice to have. But I'm not excited to have a whole lot of money, okay? So, that is our subject matter this morning, and um, just want to give you a heads up. If I'm looking at my notes, I want to make sure I get the point across correctly. I'll be back and forth. So let's head into our scripture, okay? I'm going to be reading out of James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. And I'm reading out of the NIV version. James 5, 
verse 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver or um, silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to be rich? (laughs) I think most of you or very few would say, nah, you know, that doesn't interest me or anything like that. let me, let me share some quotes with you concerning being rich. First one is from uh, Roy T. Bennett. Uh, you are not rich until you have a rich heart. Okay, having money isn't what makes you rich or wealthy instead. It's what's in your heart that makes it important to you. What's in your heart. Another quote by Benjamin Franklin An investment in knowledge pays the best dividends. I I assume that most of you invest in stock or 401ks or some investment uh, money or savings account or something. Uh, What about investing in yourself? What about something that can never be taken away. Let's look at that knowledge that you have. That knowledge is one thing that should be treated as such. Whether you spend time or money on both to gain knowledge, it is yours to keep. Let's look at the next quote. The real measure of your wealth is how much you've been worth if you lost all of your money. Okay, so let's put you in a situation, you've lost all your money. What now? What's gonna happen? Do you have family? Do you have friends to, to, to look back on? Do you have a support system? Do you have a support system here? I'll tell you that right now. Think of who would be there when you lost it all. If you have a few special people who would be there during the hard times too, you're going to be rich. You have family. You have that support. One wise guy said, you know, they say it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable, but couldn't something be worked out such as being moderately wealthy and just a little moody? (laughs) As Christians, we know that the Bible has many warnings against the dangers of pursuing wealth. If you look in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, 
For example, the Apostle Paul warns us. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with the money of griefs. Did you handle that? Most of us would say, yeah, I could handle that. Or at least I'd like to try. It seems if more money and than I have, it would solve a lot of our problems, correct? Yeah. But we often forget that wealth can create a lot of problems also, folks. Agree? You agree with that? Here are some examples. Money can cause you to forget God. Physical neediness can cause you to cry out to God. Money can change the way you think about yourself. It's sort of like a, a stimulant, okay? Money can cause you to look down on others, right? Money can weaken your, res- uh, weaken your resolve to fight temptation. Very true. Who all here know John Steinbeck? Very, very, very wonderful author. Um, he writes this book, which is called The Pearl. Has anybody read that? No? It's, it's an interesting read, okay? It's, it's a story about a poor pearl diver. A diver who who dives for pearls. And his ultimate, ultimate goal is to find that perfect pearl so he can bring in the rich and the money, okay? Guess what? He finds that pearl. He finds that pearl. And then the remaining of the story talks about him and his struggles about the wealth that Pearl has brought him. And at one point, he loses it. So this is a good example of how wealth, your pursuit of wealth, can lead to the, the trials and tribulations of having money. It's a very good read for those who um, would benefit to understand about wealth and what it could do for someone. Now, let's look back at our text for James uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Bear with me. I'm going to make sure that I get this correct, so I'm going to be back and forth with my notes. James returns to the principle that work must serve the needs of others. His words in the beginning of chapter 5 are stating, He warns the rich to weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. That is James chapter 1 or chapter 5, verse uh, 1. 
While the gold in their vaults and the robes in their closets may look as shiny as ever, James is so certain of their coming judgment that he can speak as if their riches were already decomposing. Your riches have rotted. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted. James chapter 5, verse 2 through 3. Their self-indulgence has succeeded only in fattening them for the day of slaughter. The day of slaughter seems to be a reference to the day in which God judges those whom he called to lead the care for people, but who preyed on them instead. That's found in Zechariah. Um, Let me turn there. There we go. Chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the Lord may God say. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them, for I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. These rich people are doomed both for how they acquire their wealth and for what they did or didn't do with it once they had it. James echoes the Old Testament as he criticizes them for their unjust business practices. Listen. The wages of laborers who mowed their fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Money that should be in the hands of laborers sits instead of the treasures of the landowners. And there it says, they hoard their wealth and ignore the needy around them. Now, as business leaders, especially for me in the HR world, uh, when it comes to payroll administration and human resource capital, I have to make sure that my employees are getting paid accordingly to their rate and their, uh, their, their wages. I have to make sure that happens. And it has to happen accordingly and to uh, what the law states. An analyst of what constitutes fair pay is beyond the scope of, the, of this discussion. But James' words, the wages you have kept back by fraud, are an accusation of abuse of power on the part of those particular wealthy landowners. Now, if I did that in this world that we live in, um, I would be faced with fines, violations, etc., so I have to make sure that I am on top of the wages. Any changes, and that's why we empower our employees to keep track of their punches, their times, and if there's any discrepancy in their rate, we have to negotiate and fix those rates. The workers were owned wages, but the rich and the powerful found a way out of the paying them without incurring punishment by the legal system. Wow, that's fraud, okay? For the rich is easy to exercise their unfair power without even recognizing it, 
abuses the power of including misclassifying employees as independent contractors, inaccurately registering workers in the lower skill code, paying women or min- minorities less for the doing the same job as others, and using the children from jobs to uh, dangerous that adults refuse to do them. Misuse of power can n- never be excused just because it is so-called standard practice. Now you hear a lot about that in today's world. Fair practices, fair wages. You know, this this past COVID year has been a real challenge for employers because we've seen rate increases, wages move from $13 an hour to $15 an hour, in some cases $16 an hour. <clears throat> and it's a very com- competitive market right now. So uh, we have to be on top of the compliance issues. We have to be on top of uh, the, the fair wages at this point uh, in our community. <coughs> Excuse me. James also condemns those who have lived on earth in luxury and in pleasure. Now the question is, what constitutes living in a luxury and in pleasure um, can be really complex, okay? But it confronts the many Christians in one way or another. James' chief concern in this passage is the well-being of the poor. So the most relevant question you should ask is one, does the way I live enhance or diminish the lives of other people? <coughs> Does the way I live enhance or diminish the lives of other people? The second question. Does what I do with the money help lift people out of poverty or does it help keep them impoverished? Very good question. (coughs) It's like my kids in electronics. A lot of money in those electronics. So these are two questions to ponder, folks. Um, These warnings serve two main purposes. First, they should encourage us who know God to be faithful and endure, knowing in due time he will judge the wicked. And second, it should be warn us not to fall into any of the sins that will bring judgment on the wicked. So So to you, to the church, James is saying, because wealth can be a dangerous trap, we should be careful not to use it in an ungodly manner, but rather be faithful. Oh, thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. <clears throat> Stephen Cole, a well-known pastor and author, explains three points uh, that James makes in this passage, and I, I would like to share those with you. Okay. The first point is, wealth can be a dangerous trap. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 9. 
Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And then let's look at verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Money's like fire. You know, I think we all know about what fire can do. <laughs> Look at the bootleg fire right now. But fire uh, is a good example of what money um, is like. Um, used properly and under control, fire can be helpful, correct? Now, if we do not use it properly, carelessly, or an evil intent, it can be a powerful force. And we have seen that in the last couple years, what fire can do. With the selfish intent, money can quickly corrupt. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 23 through 24, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it takes nothing less than the power of God to save us from the dangers of greed and selfishness that are bound up with the wealth. <clears throat> Second point. We should be careful not to use wealth in an ungodly manner. And I use an example of hoarding. You know, you buy something that you like and you continue to buy something that you like. You continue to buy something that you like and it starts to build and build and build and build and by the time you have it, you have all this stuff. <clears throat> now, if you look at James, these rich people had so much stuff that it was rotting in storage. Remember that? <clears throat> what good are silos Full of grain if it's spoiled or full of mold. It's not good. Not good at all. What good is a bank vault full of jewels when you can't even wear them or don't want to wear them? Okay. Probably for money. The Bible commands us to provide for our families and our own needs, but it condemns hoarding our money and possessions when it can be put to use to further the Lord's work or to help others. Matthew chapter 6 will explain that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Find it here, and I will read it to you.
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Very, very good. I can't tell you where that balance point is, uh, but I will say that not many of us here in America live on the lean side. I hope not. Um, we are very, we're very blessed to what we have. We're very blessed to uh, have a family, have a house, have an income. Um, we're very blessed to have anything at all, a church, a place to worship. Often behind these behaviors is either the sin of greed or the lack of trust in God to provide for our future needs. Don't spend your life collecting junk that you never need to use. What are you going to do? Keep it or just give it up? I would just give it up. If I don't know that I have it, I just, <laughs> I just need to give it up. Our third point our responsibility is to be faithful to God in the realm of financial stewardship. Now, folks, you either trust in money that you now see or in the Lord that you will see one day. If you trust in the Lord, then you will be good steward of money and possession that he entrusts you uh, to have. Remember who owns it. He does. He owns it, not us. We must give, remember, we must give an account to him of how we used it. Let's look at Luke chapter 16. One more verse here. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. I tell you, well, verse 9 and then 10. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? In this context, it's very little. It's a very little thing is money. It's, it's a big thing to us, but to God, it's a little thing that he uses to test, to prove whether you will be faithful with more important things. The much refers to the eternal souls. If you want God to entrust spiritual riches to you, prove yourself by being faithful in managing your finances and he has entrusted to you. Now, folks, there are a lot of resources out there that could teach you about finances, money management, tithing. 
Wealth is a good tool. If we are careful to use it as stewards for the Lord, but it can be a dangerous trap if we adopt the worldly perspective on our wealth. I encourage you, I encourage you, examine often your stewardship, okay, of the resources that God has provided for you. I am reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So in conclusion, three points. <laughs> wealth can be a dangerous trap. We should be careful not to use wealth in an ungodly manner. Our responsibility is to be faithful to God in the realm of financial stewardship. Folks, you can do this. If you can do this. Don't let it, don't let it scare you. Don't let it put fear in your life. Okay? You are blessed. You may not know it, but you are. You're very blessed. Um, and we have God to thank that for. Okay. Very. Just trust in God. Things will. We got to look at Him. We got to. We trust in Jesus, and and our lives will will set to be fruitful, faithful, and loving. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that we can come to you and talk about wealth and finances. Lord, we're so grateful that you have instructed us to lead a life of stewardship. And Father, help us to avoid those temptations. Help us to avoid those, those yearnings of purchasing, buying, and help us to uh, be in self-control of what we, what we do with our finances. <coughs> Lord, you're so grateful that we love you so much. We thank you for the opportunity that we can come to a church, have a place of worship, and worship in you. And Father, thank you for dying on the cross for us. It was such an important day that you did that for us. And we truly look up to you for guidance, forgiveness, and um, our future is bright. And we're so thankful that you're in our hearts. Lord, I just want to uplift Ann Stobel right now. Be with her at this point. She had had a stroke, and Father, we know that your healing touch is upon her right now. And Lord, just kind of continue to be with that family, continue to be with her healing. And Father, bring her through with flying colors. We know that you are there currently and will always be with her. And Father, just be with us this week. Help us to be examples of you. Help us to be examples of stewardship. And Father, we're so grateful, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.